Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Bauer and Rose Show. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer, your hosts right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. We're hosted online at justthenews.com. We are also a podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. If you hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts, you'll never miss an episode. Make sure and give us a a five-star rating and recommend us to friends. Well, Gary, um, 5 p.m. in Israel on uh, Thursday, which I guess... I shouldn't have said for timestamp purposes, but let me just start by saying this. In the last two weeks, we have gone, I speak as a Jew, I speak as an American, and I speak as someone with deep, deep commitments here in Israel. We've gone in two weeks from the worst slaughter of the Jews since the Holocaust to global demands that Israel not hurt any civilians, to what happened the other night, a universal wall-to-wall global media blood libel about the hospital burning, bombing, which turned out to be a, not a bombing at all. This is a thousand years of Jewish history in a fortnight. I mean, we've gone from being helpless victims of genocidal maniacs to perpetrators of genocide ourselves to unindicted war criminals to these damned devilish perpetrators. Uh, They murder their own people and they spread the blood libel that we're human monsters. Spread by everybody else away, but by the Hamas press office, directly to the front pages of the Wall Street Journal, not even edited for punctuation. Yeah, you know, Tom, I mean, that's the thing that jumped out at me, you you know, so, you know, Hamas and Hamas controlled entities in uh, Gaza, uh, the the folks that uh, the folks, the monsters that, that carried out the massacre, which every day we get more information about. They put out a statement accusing Israel of, quote, unquote, a war crime. And, and the thing that's so shocking about it is how many people that I I'm sure most of them don't think of themselves as anti-Semites. They probably think of themselves as good, upstanding citizens of the West. Uh, but they were willing immediately to uh, believe the worst about a country that has, I got to be honest with you, Tom, kind of driven me crazy in the last week or so when I see um, Israel continuing to drop leaflets on top of buildings telling people, uh, you better get out of there. We're getting ready to bomb it. And I'm thinking, uh, wait a minute, unless you have a way to get those leaflets only to the good guys, what good is it to bomb the freaking building (laughs) if everybody's going to leave? So 
but yet in all these entities, uh, yeah, Reuters, uh, you said the Wall Street Journal, uh, uh, the, the, the New York Times, Axios, Politico, Politico uh, MSNBC, uh, you, you name it. They all rush to say it and to report it. And then when uh, there, there started to be started to be pushback and sources in Israel were saying, uh, no, that's that's not what happened. And then even their their favorite president, uh, you know, the Biden White House said, uh, uh, well, we, we don't have uh, any evidence that this report is true. The media started demanding more proof from Israel that they didn't do it. Notice, Tom, they didn't demand any proof from Hamas and Hamas-controlled entities that Israel did do it. But when Israel brought up proof that they hadn't done it, they demand more proof. And I I saw one IDF spokesman on the air saying, you you know, I'm not – I gave you the proof. I'm not going to keep giving you more proof. There is no amount of proof that will satisfy you. Yeah, yeah. No, he was he was great, Jonathan Conricus. I saw that. I, I'm going to ask a question that I think I know the answer to, but I'd want to hear yours first. Why does the media, including some of our favorite outlets, within 20 minutes of the explosion, which we now know was a Palestine Islamic Jihad rocket that misfired, the Wall Street Journal on its website ran the following headline, Israeli airstrike hits hospital, kills 500, Palestinians say. I'll say this, it's been almost two weeks since the massacre. It took days, more than a week, to count the dead. Within 20 minutes, they count the dead at this Palestinian hospital. Why the rush to cut and paste Hamas propaganda. Tom, I look, I, I, I mean, I might be wrong. Uh, there could be a number of explanations. But um, I, I, I think that among the American population, there is uh, strong support for Israel by and large. It's stronger on the right than it, than it is on the left. But nonetheless, it's strong support. Um, but among American elites of all stripes, and I don't care if they're Democrat elites or Republican elites in the media, uh, as, as we've seen in academe, uh, in entertainment, et cetera, um, there, there is hostility to Israel, just like there's hostility to, uh, traditional America. They want to, they want to transform America. And I think, quite frankly, Tom, I hate to say this to you, my friend, but I think uh, some of them would not uh, would not shed a, a tear if something happened to Israel. Uh, so I look. I think that's. I, I think they they've got the 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 Western man's guilt complex. You know, uh, they're, they're part of a successful civilization that that has done so much good, and they feel uh, some of them feel guilt ridden about it. Well, it must have been at the expense of somebody, right? Um, and then, of course, there's the other problem that uh, that you guys have. You're white adjacent. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, like when you're in Israel, you you really see the variety of Jews. In sixty percent from all over the world. Sixty percent. Sixty percent of the Jewish population in the state of Israel is not white. They're right. either North African, they're Iraqi, they're Persian. I have a theory, and maybe it's part of my paranoia. 
the media, which of course is even at our favorite outlets like the Wall Street Journal, the copy editors, the headline writers, they're all of the same ilk. There's this obsessive need to create moral equivalence between genocidal terrorists who shoot babies in their cribs and Israel, an open and transparent, very imperfect democracy. But then when you step back, you got to say, wait a second, this, this obsessive interest in creating moral equivalency only seems to present itself when it comes to the Jewish state. The very same media, the very same people would never parrot Putin propaganda instantly. They'd they take what he says with a grain of salt. They, you know, they check, they edit. Although they do that with Ukraine, they basically cut and paste, uh, you know, Zelensky's statements, which, by the way, is fine with me because I think he's and his country are the innocent victims of an invasion. But but the same media would never parrot Putin, Putin propaganda. Now, what are the chances that an organization that burns and decapitates infants in front of their parents before slaughtering them might stoop to something so low as to lying to further their cause. It's like it never occurs to them that somebody that would that would throw infant corpses into a pile and burn them beyond recognition might lie. Well, keep keep in mind, Tom, among among those uh, that are committed to uh, the, the left in America, and, and of course they've got you know they're overrepresented in the American media, but they they are to a person moral relativists, and everything is relative. The, the definition of truth is anything that you say or write or do that advances the leftist goal. Uh, anything that that uh, that helps Western civilization, even if it's true, that must be labeled a lie. So these are people that that think they have an obligation to twist words uh, and, and insist on things that that any uh, reasonable standard of reality would would uh, would reject. Um, you, you know, Tom, I, well, I don't know whether you, you just, Ukraine. I don't mean to interrupt. I don't mean to interrupt. I don't know whether you heard that. That was just an Iron Dome explosion. Did you hear that? Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, there, I did not hear It's 50 times a day. Who cares? Go ahead. Um, you made me lose my, my chain of train of thought. No, there's another one. No, there's, uh, a, there's another one. Well, you, you uh, rash individual that you are, you, you brought up Ukraine, and you know it's going to get my blood boiling. Uh, so, but just let me make this observation. One of the things that I continually have raised on this show in, in the last uh, year plus is uh, where's the peace movement? I, I mean, so exactly you, you nobody, nobody has. With- I, I think Bauer and Rose are the only two people from different perspectives who've called for armistice talks or some kind of ceasefire. Right. right. Go ahead. Yeah, and there, it's nowhere. It has been nowhere. It hasn't been on the university campuses. It hasn't been in the media. It hasn't been on Capitol Hill. All the people that have been for peace movements uh, forever, anytime the United States was exerting force in various places, uh, they, they, they were all AWOL. But all of a sudden, after an attack on Israel, in which Israel is getting ready to respond overnight, the peace movement made its move. It went suddenly back with a vengeance. Uh, it, I just thought it was kind of uh, interesting. That, so, Tom, I'm going to have to be in counseling. I'm going to have to be heavily sedated. 
Um, it, it is absolutely clear now what the Biden White House is going to do. In, in fact, uh, a Republican Senator Cassidy from Louisiana made the mistake of going on Fox and uh, and just saying it uh, right out there. Uh, well, what's going to happen, Senator? Uh, what, what's what's the next step on Capitol Hill? And he goes, uh, well, I, th- I think what we're going to do, you know, people have been talking about it. Uh, you, you know, there's a, there's a growing controversy about aid to Ukraine. And, of course, there are a lot of people that want to do something about the border. But, of course, there are other people that don't want to do anything. Uh, they're, they're fine with what's happening now. So uh, we've, we've talked it out. What we're going to do, because there's so much support for Israel, we're going to put the aid for Israel in a bill that will send hundreds of millions of more dollars to Ukraine. And there'll be millions of dollars in there uh, to secure the border. And that we think that uh, just the weight of the support for Israel will get that through the house and said it in no time there it is there it is uh, every you know, the country is going down the tubes our deficit is growing by leaps and bounds they're going to play on the instinctive support americans have for israel not only to put money in for israel but then to ram down the throats of half the republican party more money for Ukraine and give me a break, Senator Cassidy. We didn't, you know, we weren't born yesterday. They're going to put money in there for border security that will have nothing to do with our border security at all. It will be to hire more people to do the paperwork so Biden can continue to bring millions of people into America, which are going to be the population of the new America that he and the left envision after the current America dies out. Can I one-up you? Can I go can. even further? Earlier this week, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, in a press conference, announces in which she condemns Hamas for mass atrocities that EU aid to Gaza, which is Hamas, okay? Hamas is Gaza. Yeah. Gaza is Hamas. Will triple from 25 million to 80 million euro. So if you massacre, literally massacre, 1,400 innocent Jews, we're going to triple your aid. And then, guess who comes to town on Wednesday? Joe Biden, reading cue cards about how upset he was and then he announces before he leaves uh, Ben Gurion at the airport. He announces at a at a in front of a teleprompter that the United States is committing a hundred million dollars to pallet to uh, Gaza relief. A hundred million. Do- the math is simple: murder Jews get paid. There are hundreds of trucks lined up on the Egyptian border ready to enter Gaza carrying this so-called humanitarian aid that has now been paid for by the United States. I got a question for you, Bauer. If they enter, who's going to inspect them? Since the answer is nobody, why would anybody doubt that USAID is now directly going to carry war material to Hamas. Let me ask you a second question, rhetorical, obviously. What about the so-called humanitarian food aid? 
Who do you think it's going to go feed? Do you think it's going to feed the hostages, the sick? What about the medicine that's coming in in this food aid? Is it going to go to the hostages so desperately in need of medicine? What about the fuel? Is it going to go to to power hospitals and schools or be converted to solid rocket fuel for rockets? This is a bunch of, I I mean, I I call it crap, but it's so much more serious than that. We have just announced... We are funding Hamas. Make no mistake, any aid to Hamas, which controls Gaza, any aid to Gaza, either active or passive, a humanitarian, is aid to Hamas. Yeah, you're absolutely right, obviously, Tom. And look, what, what Biden should have said was... Is, is there, can I interject, what, what, what's the reaction at home on that? Well, I, I mean, it's too it's too early to tell. But, you know, I Tom, I, I, I think we could be watching Joe Biden getting reelected and, and the Republicans are too stupid to get what's happening. I mean, this I, I've been warning uh, on our show quite a bit, Tom, that uh, that th- this desire by people, I, I get the desire that we need to be tough. That's why I supported Donald Trump. That's why I hope he's president again, because we weren't dealing with this kind of stuff when he was president. But this relentless desire to push Joe Biden into things that will result in broader conflicts makes him a wartime president. And if the American people feel like we are heading toward a big war on multiple fronts, they will re-elect him. See, I, 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 I think no. no I, I was just going to say I think that will be the result, but I don't think that's the aim. I think his weakness has been so profound that he's inviting aggression, and he's desperately, desperately now trying to somehow uh, uh, abate. Uh, broadening of the conflict, but what he in fact is doing is inviting it. He was here, of course, I'm in in, uh, Israel at the moment when I say here. He was here uh, and announces the dispatch of two carrier battle groups. Now, what do you think the purpose of those carrier battle groups is going to be? It's going to be essentially to protect, and stick with me here, protect Hezbollah and to protect Iran. The Israelis, if they had full and complete freedom of action, my sense from talking to people is that the conventional military wisdom right now here, from a local perspective, nothing to do with America, is that Hamas can wait, that they've pounded the crap out of many of the sites, and it's somewhat containable now. But the real threat is Hezbollah, which is 10 times stronger than Hamas, and that Israelis would like, the, the, the military would like an opportunity to have a go at them. The problem now is that these carrier battle groups that are here designed to, you know, deter wider involvement will give Israelis, will give the IDF total freedom in, in uh, Gaza until, of course, some innocent person is hurt. Uh, and I've never heard of innocent people getting hurt in a war before, let alone with genocidal maniacs, but that when this is over uh, and Hamas is quote-unquote destroyed, but it won't really be destroyed because we've already promised, now I'm speaking as an American, already promised to rebuild it, and we're already promoting the whole notion of a Palestinian state. <laughs> it's like the morning after a Nazi mass murder, we're saying, well, the Nazis need a, you know, need a state, need a, a state other than Germany or whatever it is, that 
This is how you get into a bigger war. This is how you get into it. Because once the Israelis are in Gaza, and they've got to be soon, or I'm going to lose my mind, uh, Hezbollah will open up. And when Hezbollah opens up, what's the U.S. going to do? And more importantly, what will the restraint that Israelis will feel in response I mean, I look, Israel, thank God, is not Ukraine. It's not, Israel can defend itself by itself. What Israel needs is the one thing that Joe Biden doesn't seem to be prepared to offer, and that is time. Let Israel handle itself. Well, Tom, I mean, you, I, don't, I don't think I have anything that I disagree with in, in your analysis, but you're, you're counting on a level of sophistication by an average American that does not marinate in foreign policy issues like you and I do. And what they saw was a guy go to Israel in the middle of a war and uh, prance around and say, I'm with Israel. Well, and the American people are with Israel. And I, you know, I, I mean, I, I have no doubt that there are people going, you know, I, 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 I wasn't that very, I wasn't very happy about him, but I, I got to take my hat off to him. I mean, that was a, oh, yeah. that was a, absolutely, you know, so and so thing to do. And, uh, especially uh, here, especially I, here. I, I think that the, the next polling that comes out, well, let's wait and see, but I would not be surprised at all if his approval ratings drop, dry, uh, we have jump up five or six points. Um, the, the, on those ships, there, there are, my understanding is there are about 600 Tomahawk, uh, uh, missiles with a range, I think, of, uh, of somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 miles. Uh, they could reach targets in Iran. And, uh, I, I guarantee you that if Donald Trump were president, uh, he would have been saying in back channels to Iran, if Hezbollah moves over that border uh, in any way, shape, or form. We know who's directing them. We know who's paying for it. We will use every tool at our disposal to hit you. Don't tempt me. Now, maybe the Biden White House sent that message. I don't think Iran would believe them. Why why would they? He hasn't even mentioned I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. Not only did he not mention the I word, not Israel, Iran, once during his visit here, yesterday, Wednesday, UN sanctions on Iran's ballistic missile industry were lifted. Obama, Biden did nothing to stop it. Not a single element of Biden's Obama, I did it again, of Biden's Iran policy has changed since the war started. There are no new sanctions. There was no attempt to freeze the $6 billion given to Iran. There have been no demands for new UN resolutions against Iran. There have been no renewed efforts to enforce the oil sanctions that Obama has refused to enforce that are already on the books. Iran can now develop under international legitimacy a, a uh, ballistic arms industry and sell ballistic weapons to whoever it wants. So it's all talk, Gary. It's all talk. He's done nothing. He hasn't taken one step to change this disastrous Iran policy. And they're not stupid. They know that. Well, Tom, I I think you're being unfair. I mean, he's done a lot. It's just not stuff that is 
you know, helpful to our side in all this. <laughs> I mean, while, while all this is going on, his negotiators are uh, coming up with uh, this fake evidence of uh, of democratization in Venezuela in order to justify uh, taking more of the sanctions on Venezuela oil uh, off Venezuela, which has Hamas uh, cells there, but sponsored by the government. The, the Iran has uh, interest in Venezuela. Venezuela is a supporter of Iran. We're taking the sanctions off of them because he's got to keep uh, the gasoline prices down. And he's already drained 45 percent of the oil reserves of the United States and not bothered to refill it. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, the guys at the Pentagon are sitting around saying, gee, let's see, can we fight a war in Europe, a war in the Middle East and a war 100 miles off the uh, coast of uh of uh, communist China? Sure, we can. And now we have, and I, again, I'm away, so I don't know what is happening back home. But this spy scandal, this Iran spy scandal, which I'm not reading much about. I see it in Israeli papers, but the our envoy to Iran, the guy that Biden hired to represent us in these Iran negotiations, Robert Malley has supported and facilitated this Iranian spy ring inside the U.S. government. He brought one of the clerical regime's key assets, this woman Ariane, uh, I'm going to mispronounce her name, Tabatabai or something, into the government. She's still there at the Pentagon. She's chief of staff to the assistant director of defense for special operations and weapons of mass destruction. Can you imagine that? She holds top secret clearances. Mali apparently is under FBI investigation for uh, espionage, but he hasn't been fired. He hasn't even been suspended. Apparently, he gets full pay working from home. Iran has built this multi-dimensional circle of fire around Israel. And I mean, I, I, I know you think this will help Biden. I'm wondering because it can't help but explode, right? It's no surprise well, that... Uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that, Tom, uh, so far... Uh, that story is is a story that's being talked about by Washington, D.C. elites, mostly on our side. Uh, it is no way it is seeped down to the uh, to, to the American public. There's, they're, they're paying no price for it at all. It, it's complicated. It's got a bunch of hard to pronounce names. Uh, the average guy out there is like, what? What, what was that? You know. Uh, the, the media, of course, is studiously ignoring the story, just like they ignored uh, uh, Hunter Biden's uh, laptop. Um, the, you know, it, it's just the story's nowhere. I mean, I, you know, I've written about it. It's, you'll see some things on, on Fox about it, but it's a sideshow. Uh, look, yes, yesterday they had to put a woman on leave. Uh, who worked in uh, the immigration service, and her job was to help migrants uh, navigate the system so that they could successfully get into the United States. And she did such a good job of that that they promoted her into the Department of Homeland Security, where she was working on even more sensitive things. And then uh, somebody noticed, I don't know how, that uh, – 
gosh, she's got some unusual things up on her social media pages, like die, Israel, die, you know, your time is up, you know, et cetera. So she was put on leave. So you would think, I don't know, I, I'm so unreasonable about this stuff. But you would think that if somebody's going to be hired in the Department of Homeland Security, you might want to do a background check on them uh, and, and look for things, uh, you, you know, like the things she had all over social media. So these are the same people, as you know, Tom, that, you know, when we next time you get on an airplane, America, um, depending on whether your Homeland Security TSA guy is feeling a little frisky that morning, uh, you might get the kind of pat down you usually wouldn't get except on your second or third date. <laughs> uh, and uh, but but a person like this woman goes up in the ranks, gets promoted you know, I remember, Tom, when Homeland Security put out a thing uh, last year that uh, – and the Pentagon did the same thing. You know, be on the lookout for for extreme right-wing MAGA people. And one of the ways you can tell uh, they're MAGA pe- people is they might be visiting websites that have the word patriot in them. That should be a red flag. But die, Israel, die. Hey, give her a bonus and knock her on up to the higher ranks of the Department of Homeland Security. We're living in a coffee-esque world, Tom. It, up is down. Down is up. And, uh, I, you know, the, I, a lot of Christians wonder, uh, you know, those, those who take a very literal view of the Bible, I count myself among them, Oh, uh, why is there nothing that directly looks like America in the end days when all hell's going to break out uh, in Israel and the Middle East? And uh, I suspect we're we're finding out it's because we're not around when it all happens. You know, we're we're so suicidal. Our elites are so suicidal in this country that uh, we're just not going to make it that far. It's just it it boggles the mind that. Israel, the victim of the worst civilian terror attack, certainly since 9-11, the worst attack on Jews since the Holocaust, needs to work so hard to take care, to undertake, you know, this delicate public diplomacy. When the truth is, Israel does more than any army on earth, any nation on earth, to avoid civilian casualties. The purpose of the IDF is solely defensive. It's to prevent further harm to its people by attacking those who seek to attack it. The, the, the IDF is not an aggressive army. It's the Israel Defense Force. Its purpose is to protect the state of Israel. And the administration's uh, number one focus, it seems to me, and I'm at a distance, is to cover its tracks, to protect its um, Iran story. I mean, they're doing everything they can to... Uh, dissemble and direct, uh, misdirect all this attention that should be going to uh, its disastrous Iran policy, which has been nothing but a complete debacle from every perspective. That's why they're trying to blame Egyptian intelligence and Qatar intelligence and Lebanese and Israeli, anything to avoid any focus whatsoever on the Biden administration's role in enhancing Iran, in strengthening Iran, in paying for Iran. I guarantee you, if Donald J. Trump were president, this would not have happened. Not because... He would have necessarily said anything or done anything that provocative, but because they know 
You don't mess with Donald Trump. There's an unpredictability about him. You don't know what the guy's going to do. He liked to call it, well, I don't want to repeat it on radio, but he always called it, you know, the crazy SOB. Um, we got to keep up the crazy SOB front. Let them think, and I, yeah. you know, let them think I'm a madman. Let them think they don't, and it worked. It worked with North Korea. It worked with Iran to the extent that he didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. There were He got out of the JCPOA. Remember how everybody said that was going to cause war? It didn't. He moved the embassy to Jerusalem. Remember how everybody said that was going to cause war? It didn't. He recognized the Golan Heights. Everybody said that was going to cause war. It didn't. He cut off all aid to the Palestinian terror organizations, both the PA and Hamas. Everyone said humanitarian disaster. Meanwhile, the U.S. has now... I realize I'm uh, foaming at the mouth here. Uh, The U.S. just announced $100 million in aid to Hamas, which is Gaza. Do you know what the combined total Arab world's commitments to Hamas in Gaza have been since the attacks? $4 million. And I think that was... $400 million? No, four. Well, you're saying that they're not doing anything. They're not doing a damn thing. They haven't lifted a finger. Egypt is emphatic, not a single refugee. None of the countries, none, no, not one Arab country has offered to take a single refugee. And everyone here is kind of panicking because we're reading these stories. Even Nikki Haley is saying we need to take Gaza refugees in the United States. We can't even. I'm just getting ready. Go ahead. I was just getting ready to bring that up, Tom, because... Uh, Is that for um, real? Yeah, it's for real. Now, you know, of course, it, she was on with Tapper uh, last Sunday, and, uh, you, you know, it's a long exchange, but but she she left the, the clear signal that, look, we know how uh, to uh, separate the good guys from the bad guys. And of course, really, we ought to bring good people out of Gaza and, and so forth. I went after her in my end of day report. And I, I must say, Tom, that, uh, you, you, you know, it's it's uh, it's not widely known, but that thing, that report gets around. It gets around to a lot of grassroots activists. And uh, I'm sure I know. Well, in fact, I know I have people on the list that, uh, think that Nikki Haley would be a, a great nominee. So I, w- I went after her about it. And uh, within about 36 hours, uh, her people started uh, trying to do a cleanup operation um, and, uh, you know, claiming, oh, she was misinterpreted or whatever. So, uh, you know, I, I, I looked at it. My, my rule of thumb is very simple. Whatever a politician says the first time they're asked about something is actually what they believe. What they say when they're cleaning up their mess is just damage control. So I went back and I looked for what did, uh, uh, what, what did Nikki Haley say? In 2015, when Donald Trump began to suggest that as uh, a candidate, that if he was elected president, he would limit immigration from certain countries that were infested with radical Islam. She said when he put that proposal out there that it was disgusting. It was unconstitutional. It violated everything America stands for. Uh, and it was an embarrassment to the Republican Party. So there you go, right? Back then, this was her instinctive reaction. 
Nikki Haley is a perfect example of why the Republican Party is an ineffective, ineffective battler and resistance to the left's transitioning of America. Tom, we there was a there was a debate in Ohio last night of the three people contending uh, to be the Republican Senate nominee in Ohio. Uh, one candidate has been endorsed by Trump. The other two have not. The other two are very credible people. One's the secretary of state uh, for Ohio. So they're in the debate. And uh, the other two candidates are they, they're all asked about immigration. How are you going to answer? What are you going to do about the immigration problem? What about the people that are recovery gotten in? The other two candidates go, well, there are 20 million of them here now in the United States. There's nothing we can do about that would be impossible to do anything about that. Plus, it would be a terrible hit on our economy. And they're they're already interspersed into our economy. So we've got to find a way to make sure they can work to, you know, eventually bring them into the mainstream of America. The guy that Trump endorsed, who I think is the front runner and I'm hoping gets the nominee, said, nope. If I get elected to Senate, I'm going to work with people that are going to do everything we can to get people that illegally came into America out of America. But the fact that the secretary of state, the Republican secretary of state of Ohio, without any awareness, I think, of where the grassroots of the Republican Party is, spoke once again for the business wing of the Republican Party. And that is uh, that's Josh Mandel, right? I think so. No, no, it's um, – uh, I, I don't think he's Secretary of State. Oh, OK. Um, well, I've just slandered Josh Mandel. Sorry about that. I got yeah. a question. If – I mean we obviously need more prison space for these pro-genocide insurrectionists who attacked the Capitol on Wednesday. Maybe if we released half of those in prison for J6 violations of trespassing, we might have enough space for these hundreds – Everyone says pro-Hamas or pro... That's not it. It's not pro-Hamas. It's not pro-Palestinian. It's pro-genocide. It's not that they support Hamas. They support the murders. They support the killing of... These are genocidal, uh, dangerous, Nazi-like fanatics. They attack the Capitol. Are they going to be brought to justice? Is this going to be the largest investigation in the history of the U.S. Department of Justice? Are we going to have thousands of people arrested? Are they going to use biometric data to scan uh, everyone that was within, you know, 20 miles of the Capitol yesterday to bring charges against uh, any of these people? And it's a rhetorical question because I'm pretty sure I know the answer, and the answer is uh, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tom, look, you're in Israel, and you're you gotta you gotta get somebody. Maybe I should be sending you the memos. You know that. I mean, the memo is very clear. If you go uh, in an unauthorized manner into the capital of the United States or any of the office buildings, uh, shouting "Make America Great Again," uh, you're on the way to prison for a long time. But if you enter the United States Capitol or the office buildings shouting "Death to America, Death to Israel," you're going to get a pat on the head, a little uh, spank on the butt, and escorted out of the building. This is the poisonous double standard that that the federal law enforcement is all in on, that the left has taken over, and it this is what's killing 
America's constitutional republic. And as it sinks in more and more what is going on, it runs the real risk that America is going to lapse into our own disaster internally because you're telling half the country the laws will only be enforced against you. Every single Republican presidential candidate should already have used the opportunity to promise that if they win, they're going to make doggone sure that the DOJ and the FBI do whatever they can to track down anyone that was involved in this insurrection through crowdsource photos, videos, whatever mechanisms they use. The Capitol Police really failed to do their job. Hundreds of these domestic terror supporters were arrested. I want to find out how long they're booked for, what their bail is. If they don't face the very same treatment as those who were arrested on January 6th, I I don't understand why every Republican presidential candidate hasn't already been on this. Um, We cannot survive with two sets of laws. There must be consequences, severe consequences, for these pro-jihad, pro-genocide demonstrators showing their support for a murderous organization. And what it looked like was a lot of these folks, I'm guessing, I don't know this, too many were American, I can assure you, but uh, a lot of these folks I better hear on visas, student visas, here illegally, uh I just don't understand why there's been a reluctance on the part of any of the Republican candidates that I'm aware of uh, to, to, to jump on this immediately. Uh, Tom, I mean, it's it's uh, it's the Republican Party altogether. I mean, look, they went into the rotunda of the, of the Cannon House office building. Uh, there are all kinds of Republican members of Congress that have uh, offices there. They should have been all over Fox News this morning. They should have been putting out press releases. Um, Not only that, before they went in and occupied the rotunda, uh, they were egged on by Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who gave this emotional speech right outside of of the office building, uh, weeping over the deaths of 500 people in the hospital, something that had already been debunked. She repeated those lies. So she incited this group to go in and occupy the Cannon House office building. As you remember, Tom, you and I talked about it on, on our show um, in the investigation that took place after January 6th, uh, the, the Justice Department tried to go after Republican members of the House. Uh, they were reviewing videotape because some of those members gave tours to people that were in town for the upcoming rally on January 6th. And they were going to try to get these members of Congress as as showing the rioters the layout of the Capitol so they would be able to get to the places they wanted to go during the uh, breach of the Capitol. I mean, that was seriously pursued by the January 6th committee, including Liz Cheney at the time. How have our university campuses become hotbeds for mass murder, for genocide, for pogroms? I don't know. I mean, I was born in the wrong century, obviously. This, a, a, a friend of mine yesterday or two days ago said something to me that, that, that really 
struck me. Uh, we're Jews, obviously. We're uh, totally conscious of the Holocaust. It, it, it impacts everything we think about. But yet, until October 7th, it was distant in a way. Does this now prove how the Holocaust could have happened? I mean, it's so real and so vivid and so um, uh, in your face. It, it And, you know, I've always thought of it as a distinct possibility, whatever, but never in a real uh, vivid sense. I wonder if that uh, sentiment, I mean, we all now can see how the Holocaust happened. We can see well, it. No Be- question. Yep. Yeah, Tom, remember how uh, Reagan had uh, what he called the Gates test? You know, when when a nation opens its gates, uh, do people run in or out? And um, and and then he would answer himself, you know, that uh, here in the United States, e- even when we close the gates, people will do anything to get in. And he was making a point of the superiority of our system and our exceptionalism and so forth. There's a similar test, the weapons test. Uh, imagine uh, a Gaza where nobody had a gun. Nobody. Uh, and Israel has all the weapons that we know it has today. W- would Israel sweep into Gaza and massacre the people of Gaza? Of course they wouldn't. But what if it was reverse? What if for some reason some false messiah convinced the Israeli people to put away all their weapons, get rid of them, the weapons were no good and no use of them, and Gaza was armed to the teeth. There would be a second Holocaust immediately. Gary, it's not even a In question. Fact, we saw it on the 7th. If the IDF didn't come, exactly. they'd still be slaughtering us right now. They wouldn't have stopped. Exactly. I mean, this, this, I, uh, this new for a time there on the 7th, there, there, was, there was no armed Israelis. That's right. Consequence, and we saw what happened. Everyone, babies, infants, 91-year-old. Just, I mean, you can't even turn on the TV here, Gary. It's... You literally can't. It's every, and the stories are endless, endless. Absolute, a 91-year-old Holocaust survivor bound, hogtied, strangled to death, and shot in the head. Now, who, I, I just, this, this New York Times columnist who wrote a column on why she's refusing to post her opinion about the massacre. People now who feel compelled to share every thought they ever have 24-7 have now finally found a topic they'd rather not comment about. And that topic is genocide. Remember George Floyd? Anybody who stayed neutral about Black Lives Matter were instantly labeled racists, and they were all socially pressured to put the BLM flag on their avatars. And when those who took Floyd's death as a reason to burn down cities, tear down statues... But these people not only are mute about the murder, the absolute savage murder, not of one person, but of 1,400 Jewish men, women, and children, they're the ones supporting the murderers. Yeah, uh, Tom, the, um, yeah, there's, this is happening in Europe and, uh, and here in the United States. Good people uh, have made posters of... Uh, the Israelis, pictures of the families and uh, of children that are believed to have been uh, taken back into Gaza and so forth. And they're urging people, you know, to to put these up, you know, put them up in your store or uh, put them out on a, 
you know, an area of, of the city where people put up announcements and so forth. And just, you know, just a picture. And then, you know, this is the such and such family. They were murdered uh, in their beds uh, on, you know, uh, October 7th. Well, there are videos emerging everywhere in Europe, uh, here in the United States, here in Washington, D.C., in New York City, on university campuses of uh, people walking along, kind of glancing right and left to see if anybody's looking, and then ripping down the posters commemorating these slaughtered uh, Israelis. Now, why in the world would somebody do that? This, this is insanity. Now, in the world we live in, uh, because of social media, a lot of these people are getting identified. One at the New York University ended up being like a top assistant to one of the deans. Yep. And he was captured on somebody's phone, and now he's in some trouble. Tom, one of them was an intern at the, the ADL. I saw definition that. I saw that. Can you believe that? Unfortunately, yes, I can believe it. I, the pro- um, I saw two guys. They were able to identify one, not the other, but the one they identified was a, uh, a dentist. And uh, I thought to myself, man, I wouldn't want to be a Jew getting a root canal oh. from that guy. God. I, I just, um, we don't, and maybe we, I hate to say this, but if we don't get our act together, uh, something similar will happen in America. Terrorism is only the first stage of this Islamic warfare. And what we've done in America for sure, and in Israel, to a degree, obviously a degree bad enough to have uh, led to the debacle of the 7th of October, is to focus more on tactics and logistics than on ideology. All these experts, some of our, you know, good friends, uh, asking the question, you know, what could possibly have motivated Hamas from a geostrategic uh, point of view to level these attacks now? Didn't they know they were going to? They want to be destroyed. See, we don't understand that. They want to be destroyed. Their apocalyptic, uh, uh, messianic vision, if you will, was said best by Osama bin Laden himself. The purpose of life is to seek death through martyrdom. And the best way to achieve martyrdom is to murder a Jew. Another good way to achieve martyrdom would be to murder an American. Uh, if you can find an American Jew, that's better. But if you have a Christian, that's perfectly okay, too. You'll get your 72 virgins or 72 Virginians, however it goes. But terrorism is only the first stage. Once they have the numbers and the firepower, and we saw this on 7 October, the Islamists, these jihadists, they then transfer to guerrilla warfare, and they want to hold territory, and then they expand outward. This has been going on since the establishment of Islam in the 7th century, to drive away non-Muslims or under unaffiliated Muslims. Um, and what went wrong in Israel is a... And certainly what continues to go wrong, and we saw evidence of this all day yesterday with the president's visit, wasn't just an intelligence failure, but a conceptual failure of what underpins the motivation of our enemies. We still don't see that. No, no, we don't, Tom. And uh, look, we've lost the war uh, over what the war is about and who the war, the enemy in the war is. Even now. 
even when you see good people on various talk shows saying the right things, they will not bring up radical Islam. It's the war on terror again. And, and every time I hear it said, I realize we're doomed. How much of it is fear? I, I mean, how much of it is attack? I was just going to say how much you know this, but how much of it is just abject fear of of physical violence, physical safety, and how much of it is a complete acceptance of this multicultural uh, zeitgeist, this worldview that American elites now is 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 their religious uh, that's their Bible. I, I don't know. I don't know what the motivating factor is, but in either case, it, it's poison. bad news. Right? I, I mean, look if the if the uh, fifteen hundred. Hamas guys that entered Israel in, uh, now, in civilian clothes. Now they say it was three thousand. Huh? Now they say it was three thousand. Okay, if the if the three thousand uh, wore the uniforms of a uh, Gaza army and came in in uh, tanks and uh, and you know regular military equipment and so forth and and started uh, shooting everybody up. Would we still say the war on terror or would it be, well, Gaza invaded Israel uh, and we're, we're in a war with the radical Islamists that are in control of Gaza? This this notion that uh, I mean, and here's what it leads to. And I think it's even fuzzy thinking, you know, in some elements in, in Israel, Tom, like, well, we're going to wipe out Hamas. We're going to destroy them all. We're going to eliminate their leadership and uh, completely blow up their their infrastructure until there is no Hamas. And then we'll come back home and we can live in peace. No, you can't. Because the same forces that created these people will still be in Hamas, will still be in Gaza. It's the mosque in Gaza where people are being taught that is, as a Muslim, you need to do this. So it just keeps coming and we will not come to grips with it. Now, we can be nuanced and we should be nuanced. There's, in some ways, there's a civil war raging in Islam between Muslims that want to, you know, live decent lives and between those that, have the warrior uh, mindset and feel that that you know Muhammad uh, Allah wants them to destroy the West, and so there'll be people in the Muslim world that will broadly speaking be on our side. But you just can't leave out the Muslim part of this because you'll never get people to understand what exactly it is we're fighting, and we are not at war with a method of warfare. That is absurd. You know, join the military and go fight terrorism. That's absurd. That's like, you know, join the military and go fight kamikaze bombers. You know, it's it's, it's insanity. Uh, and you wonder why we lost in Afghanistan and Iraq. I think that, and we're running out of time here, but We've tried to, you know, TED talk our way out of these wars, um, and it hasn't really worked that well. This whole vision thing, you know, rebuilding a society, winning hearts and minds. Israel can only win by killing the enemy, which in olden times anyway, that used to be the purpose of war. Um, our counterinsurgency campaigns in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, were designed to win hearts and minds. Did they win enough hearts and minds to win the wars? 
I mean, did we really yeah, not learn? Hearts and minds yeah. only works after you've won the war. Exactly right. Absolutely right. We're going to end it there, which is just as well. I think now I'm going to go throw up. Um, <laughs> you know, an hour with Bauer, yeah. and I'm I'm ready to toss my cookies. So, yes. um, you, you you know, one one last thought here, Tom. On Fox, a lot of other places, they'll say what we're about to show you and tell you is uh, very unnerving and very uh, it's it's tough to take. So, for sensitive people or children, you might want to leave the room. We might need to start doing that before the Bauer and Rose show starts. <laughs> Actually, for the hosts of the Bauer and Rose show, right. I, I need to leave the room. Anyway, uh, you're a you're better than a good man, Bauer. You're a great man. Don't t- don't tell Carol I said that because I don't think it's going to relieve you from garbage duty uh, or picking up the leaves this weekend. <laughs> but uh, and and are you, Tom? Well, good good to be with you today as always. God bless, and we'll we'll talk soon. <laughs>